Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Julie Douglas. Tell me this, Julie. What is it about the human navel that... Um, makes people question the very fabric of existence. Mm, well, you say fabric, I think of lint, of course. Uh-huh. But beyond that, um, I think that I think of the, the proverbial 16-year-old sitting around wondering why he or she is on this earth made to endure high school. Um, or, you know, why am I the, the daughter or the son of my particular set of parents and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the navel makes one think of this because it's like, where does it begin? Where does it end? That's right. Origins. You yeah. know, that's, that's where we hooked up. If you in were the to womb. like pull on the, the navel, like does the person unravel? You know, what does an Audi mean? What does an any mean? Does lint come from without or from within? Because oh I always God. thought it came from within, but I could, it comes from without. I, I, I think the lint comes from without. Huh. I don't know. I have a self cleaning belly button. So okay. I can't really. Those um, are great. I heard those are on the market now. Yeah. 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 Um, they're kind of expensive, but they're well worth it. I bet. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I think that when you had proposed doing this podcast, I thought about the, the navel gazing for sure, but, um, on a cosmological level. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, like on, on the individual level and throughout this podcast, we're going to start with the individual and sort of, you know, span out like powers of 10, you know, uh, till we reach the, you know, the boundaries of, of understanding. Because we're vainglorious like that. Yes. Um, so it's like on, on, a, on a very simple level, it's like, yeah, we all get those moments. It's just this little, like, generally it's like just one little nugget of pure thought, you know, uh, I mean, it's unformed thought where you, where you kind of think, you know, here I am. I'm, I exist. I'm thinking right now, you know, just, just stop for a second and do that, gentle listener. Yeah, that right there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Just, you know, no. and, and then other stuff comes crashing in. We end up thinking about the grocery list or, or, you know, or we, we throw religion in on top of it and explain everything away to a certain extent. But, but, but for that yeah. one moment, for that one moment, for that one brief glorious moment, you get a sense of the, the, the gravitas of, of this moment where we're actually existing. Yeah. And, and if you're an astrophysicist, you have been thinking about this your probably your entire life, not just navel gazing about it when you were sixteen, and mm-hmm. you're applying it to not just hey, we're sitting here in a podcast booth talking about this. Why are we in particular sitting here on Earth in this solar system? Yeah, what what makes us so special or not special? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what uh, people keep discussing time and time again. Though uh, there was a time when, uh, in the same way that uh, you know, that, that we're at the center of any of these questions. You know, why am I here? You know, what, uh, how did, how did I get to be here? Um, you know, people ha- used to have the same sort of models for the, the, the cosmos. Uh, you had the geocentric model, uh, that, uh, was sort of, you know, an early scientific way of understanding, um, the visible solar system and how the planets and everything moved. And, and our relationship to it. Right. And so geocentrism is the earth is the center of the universe and everything else revolves around us. And, uh, and that was big medicine back in the, back in the day. Uh, but then, uh, you ended up having a new theory come up, come along called the heliocentric theory, which said, actually, Earth isn't the center of the universe. The sun is the center of the universe. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I saw, uh, I, I saw something, I forget which, uh, which thinker it was, but someone had like, no, no, it was, uh, Tico Bray. Okay. The guy with the, who's amazing, uh, who had like the fake nose because he lost a nose in a duel. Oh, no. yeah. 
and he had a he had like a, a pet deer that lived in the in the um, the mansion with him or the castle with him or whatever. He's and, a little eccentric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would like feed the deer beer, and then the deer drank itself to death and fell down some stairs. And then someone may or may not have poisoned uh, Tico, or he may have. Um, his bladder may have exploded because he was too drunk to get up from the dinner table. There are different theories. <laughs> he was a great man, but um, uh, he kind of had like he, he was he wasn't like fully ready to to adopt the heliocentric model. Okay. I, I th- at one point, he was he said, "You know, okay, the sun is the center of the universe, and then the Earth revolves around the sun, but then everything else revolves around the Earth." Or, or it, it was a variation on that. But so he yeah, wasn't able to commit yet. Yeah, but one of the early um, uh, you know, one of the early guys that really committed to this was Nicholas Copernicus. Uh, and to, to give more of a frame of reference, this guy lived uh, 1473 to 1543. And, you know, he's a mathematician, astronomer. And, uh, and yeah, he was cool with the idea that Earth was not the center of everything. And uh, out of a lot of his uh, thinking comes this thing called the Copernican Principle. And this just says that there's uh, there's not, there are no special observers. There are no special origins or viewpoints. And, uh, and so that if you have a theory about, a, about humanity, about humanity's origins or its place in the cosmos, um, that, uh, you know, that, that gives, uh, you know, humans a privileged position, then from a scientific standpoint, at least that theory is bunk. Okay. All right. So the, the really intriguing part of this, I think that you'd sent me is, is something about, um, a little lady named Goldilocks. Yes. Uh, and everyone's familiar with the Goldilocks story. Can you tell us the story? Oh, quick? yeah, yeah. You've got Goldilocks, she of the, the blonde tresses who breaks in, mm-hmm. um, to this house, uh, with three bears are the, uh, tenants. Right. And it's like a mother and a father and a child bear, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, she's, they're not there, so she can't terrorize them, but she does <laughs> rifle through their stuff. She eats their food. She tests out their beds. Um, and she's very particular, this Goldilocks. It's interesting. I, I, I read that there are older models of the story because, of course, all these folk tales are as old as time. And, right. Uh, but in some of the older models of it, apparently Goldilocks was like an old woman. And the bears, like, catch her and, like, try and, like, drown her and burn her and all these other things. And then I think she still slips out the window. But, yeah, so at some point she switched from, like, horrible old lady burglar to, like, Shapeshifter. Young, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she was a shapeshifter. That was it. But um, to this young innocent that we would all be really upset about if the bears mauled. Right. Yeah. yeah. It becomes more of an innocent thing. And in a way, it's like if you're thinking of in cosmological terms, it's like which which model are, are humans? Are we the innocent child stumbling through the universe, or the um, the nasty old woman who comes in to steal things? I don't know. Or are we the bears? Maybe we're the bears. Yeah. Um, of course, the whole thing is she ends up finding the, the porch that's just right, right, the bed that's just right, the chair that's just right, because the other options are either, you know, too big or too small, too cold or too hot. And uh, if you look at our solar system, you can identify a similar situation with some of the inner planets. Look at uh, uh, Venus, Earth, and Mars. Okay. Venus, uh, the atmosphere is too thick, too dense, it's insane pressure, crush you like a grape, and it's too hot. Go over to Mars, not enough atmosphere, and you'll freeze to death. If you happen to land on Earth, though, you'll find everything's just right. We have thriving life everywhere because conditions are fine for that to happen. Right. Florida, it's sunny all year long. Right. Yeah. And and there are a number of different uh, – the, the thing that really gets people thinking is that uh, there are a number of different um, situations that line up just so, you know. Um It's, uh, it, you know, it, it's like when, when you start thinking about, like, oh, if my mom and dad hadn't met and, you know, 
then and uh, and hooked up, I wouldn't be here today. And then if you start, a, you know, uh, pointing out other things about it, like, well, if my dad hadn't gone to this school, he wouldn't have met her. And if my mom, you know, had uh, done such and such, then she wouldn't have been, you know, there are all these different factors you can start laying out. Right. And you can even kind of go uh, deeper back and say, if my great grandfather hadn't right. dodged that stray bullet or, you know, his grandfather hadn't done this. And then you can sort of uh, expand out from there and start to apply this to the universe. Right. Like, I, I'm just uh, to run through some of the things about Earth, uh, the temperature is just right for there to be liquid water. Uh, we have a large enough moon uh, to give us climate stability. Uh, the sun is stable and isn't, uh, you know, expanding and destroying us or anything. And compared to other suns, it's a pretty stable sun. Um, it's uh, uh, We have uh, just the right core. Um, only of the inner planets, only Mercury and Earth have a uh, liquid-solid core that creates this... Uh, this um, uh, this dynamo effect that produces an electromagnetic shield to uh, that uh, ends up protecting us from a lot of the harmful effects of the sun, and uh, and yeah, so we just happen to have that going for us. Uh, and then we have the right neighbors. Jupiter shields Earth from a lot of the uh, stellar bombardment we'd end up uh, suffering through otherwise, and would have very likely um, um, ended um, evolution before it really got rolling at some point. Right. So yeah, all these things are you know situations where it's like, oh, if it wasn't for that, would we be here? Maybe not. So, yeah, chew on this. That's 47 billion years in the making. About a couple million years ago, we came into existence or mm-hmm. evolved into to, to what we are today. So it is pretty amazing when you stop and think, um, when you clear that grocery list out of your head or or that whatever else is popping up on your computer mm-hmm. uh, to distract you to think, again, why am I here? Why, am, why are we here in this particular universe are we unique? Are there other universes out there? Are there other me's? How does, how is that working? Yeah. And so I think that that's why the Goldilocks principle is so very interesting because it's, it's not, um, it's not a sort of, uh, mathematical proof in the sense that we have a, a theory, um, that we can say, okay, and we have this overwhelming theory and it's gonna, it's gonna tell us exactly why we exist, but it does, lend some credence to the anthropic principle. Mm-hmm. And the anthropic principle is basically saying, to paraphrase Stephen Hawking, that things are as they are because we are. Yeah. Which sounds a lot like uh, Descartes, pardon my franche, <laughs> uh, which would be, I think, therefore I am. Right. Yeah. So you have this principle, which a lot of, Scientists, astrophysicists, theologians, you name it, have seized on to try to explain why we are able to hang out here in this universe, observe the fact that we're here, and the fact that we're supported by it. Yeah, and then you have you have the um, the, the Copernican principle in the background the whole time, reminding you that there's nothing special about about Earth, nothing special about hu- humanity. So when you look at the at everything being just right on the Earth, you know it leads to theories. You know um, that a lot of people hold about there being other planets where life could could potentially evolve, because if there's nothing nothing special about Earth, then it couldn't be the only one, right? Right, right. So there'd be multiple universes, right? And yeah. of course, you could get really deep into this and say there are parallel universes. There's another universe where you and I are talking in a completely different place right now, although maybe we're talking backwards. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You get into the whole area of like it's like a library of Babel kind of situation where all possible universes exist with all possible variations. And outcomes. Yeah. One where we're having a different conversation, one where like we all wear ball caps, 
uh, one where um, our sun was uh, kind of a jerk and blew up before we could evolve. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we're discussing the anthropic principle. And again, anthropic uh, means of or relating to human beings or the period of their existence on Earth. Um, there are several um, anthropic coincidences. They're kind of like those uh, the, the list of things that we lined up for the, the planet. Yeah. You can make a similar list uh, for the cosmos itself. They just tend to be a little more uh, complex. Like, uh, and, and I'm not going to go into too much depth here because these get kind of crazy. But uh, when you compare the electromagnetic force to gravity, we find that electromagnetism is 30 times stronger. And that's fortunate because if the two powers were more evenly matched, stars wouldn't burn long enough for life to develop on an orbiting planet. Right. So, okay. uh, and they're all, uh, you know, things of that nature where if like numbers were a little different, if the die roll, you know, from the, the Big Bang were, uh, had come out just, a, just slightly skewed, then nothing may, might, nothing could exist or, or things would exist in a vastly different, um, shape than they are now. So that's, I think, why anthropic principle is so intriguing, because it does give us a way to say, okay, we are in this universe, and perhaps everything isn't uh, happening by chance. Right. The problem with this is that when we when we traipse out of the, the area of chance, we start to look for some sort of... Theory, I'm going to go ahead and say it's super being God creator. Mm-hmm. And that's what the anthropic principle sort of points to when you think about it. Yeah, it, and a lot of people end up using it as a, an argument for, um, you know, um, intelligent design and things of that nature and the existence of God and other things that can't actually, you know, actually be proved, um, you know, scientifically. Um, and uh, a lot of this also, this comes from uh, a guy named Brandon Carter. Was the guy who initially sort of kicked off the right. whole anthropic Right, 1974 yeah. throws this out there. Yeah, and he actually, uh, I believe he just put out two of these, uh, two variations on the theory. Yeah. Weak anthropic principle and strong anthropic principle. And if the cool kids tend to often just call it AP for anthropic principle, or if you're talking about weak anthropic principle, you call it like WAP, I guess. Right, WAP. Yeah. That is so WAP. Yeah. Or like they say, like, WAP is whack, right, if they don't like it. Um, kids these days. What, what, WAP? <laughs> yeah, Okay. But uh, weak anthropic principle is uh, probably my favorite because it's just so simple and yeah. it doesn't overthink itself. You it's know? actually kind of elegant in yeah. a way. Basically, uh, Carter just pointed out that if our universe weren't um, hospitable to life, then we wouldn't be here to think about it being hospitable to life. That's right. Yeah. It's like if your mom and dad hadn't hooked up, yeah, you wouldn't exist. You wouldn't be here to think about the fact that you exist. That's right. So uh, it, it's... I love it because it's kind of like that. the weak anthropic principle is kind of like an end to the argument in itself. It's kind of like, well, stop worrying about it because it's, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, right. the, the, the answer is in the question. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, uh, I think, therefore, I am and quit thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's an unconditional truth. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's very simple in that way, and it's very comforting. But then you have a strong anthropic principle. Right. So that's basically saying because we live in a universe that supports life, only life-supporting universes exist, essentially it's creating the observer. Yeah. It's kind of like if you were inside, you know, you're hanging out in your living room, you'd never been outside of your living room, and you noticed you had a fireplace. And you and if you went with the theory, maybe the world, I guess all houses have fireplaces, you know, because there's nothing unique about this one. Because um, it's the only thing that you know. Right. Or on a more, like true level you could be like this uh, room has a roof i guess all living rooms have roofs to them you know 
So I guess that shows where this principle has a bit of weakness is that you can't, if you can't observe beyond your own understanding, right. then how can you presuppose that there are other universes that exist out there? If you can't see it, then how do you know? Because if you could see it, it would be part of your universe. Yeah. It's like uh, on one level, we have to use our, our, selves and our world and our view of the world as the model upon which to base our theories and all, you know, right. but, but that can also develop certain problems. Right. And that's the, the, the cool thing about science, I think, is that we have our five senses and we rely mm-hmm. on that. But science sort of uh, takes up where our five senses peter out. Right. You know, um, those our five senses fail us. Yeah. They're not always um, accurate. Um, our instinct isn't always accurate. So mm-hmm. you have science, you have mathematicians who are creating those models based on what we know and then sort of trying to predict these other um, thoughts, universes, constructs that we can try to get our heads around. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why this the anthropic principle is so important because that's the principle that is being used in M-theory or string theory, which presupposes that these other universes exist. Um, and that's also its Achilles heel. Yeah. Because, well, hey, you've got this sort of stand-in theory, the anthropic principle saying, well, if we can observe this, then we know we're in it, and there's the possibility of other universes just like ourselves existing, and yet we cannot bear this out. Mm-hmm. We cannot, we, we can't ring up the old large Hadron Collider and say, Hey, can you bear this out for us simply because we don't have the technology yet to prove it out? Right. And that's not true of other, uh, theories that we have been able to use technology to, to bear out the results and say, Ah, yes, this, this, um, this mathematic prediction was correct. Yeah. I think the other day when we were talking about this, you, you, uh, you pointed out that some of these things are just kind of, they're kind of like placeholders. For actual answers, they're like scientific placeholders for right. you know. Um, and uh, the other interesting thing about anthropic principle is that uh, people kind of take take it and spin off their own like variation of the anthropic principle, right? And yeah. to sometimes uh, you know mind blowing or just crazy directions, you know. Um, uh, there are like thirty of them, I think, uh, based on one estimate I read. But like uh, the uh, participatory anthropic principle is pretty wild. Did you, uh, is that the quantum space one? Yeah. The, well, this is the one that spins off from some uh, some stuff like the, the the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics and okay. the whole idea of like things not being actualized until they're observed and measured. You know. Yeah. Right. And yeah. not and not uh, actually even acting like we think they act simply because at this one state it happened to be here. It, it, in other words, you can't predict the, the results every single time. And, you know, not to get into quarks. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody wants us to go that deep. But, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's just like basically the the idea is that only universes that have observers in them to observe it exist. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, kind of a tree falls in the forest kind of thing in a weird way. It's like uh, like the universe, the universe can only exist if there's somebody there to observe it and give it form in a way. It's... Kind of crazy. Right, without the observer. Poof. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this too. Um, you've got Stephen Hawking, uh-huh. who 
obviously I th- some people think he is God and has created the universes and that <laughs> may be, we don't know. Um, we don't have a mathematical construct to bear that up, mm-hmm. but we do have John Horgan, who was the former uh, scientific American editor who actually took him to task. Yeah. And I thought that was, um, he has some big spears for doing that. Um, yeah. It's kind of a, it's always a brave move when you go after, uh, go after Hawking or, or, you know, pick at something he said. Yeah. 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 I was like, wow, dude, I hope that you have, <laughs> um, bulletproof glass there. Um, well, not really. I don't think that astrophysicists are going to oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I thought you were implying that, that Hawking was packing uh, heat. You know? I was but, thinking more of his followers, oh, you know. Okay. Yeah. But but no, I, I think they're probably uh, kind and gentle souls. But basically what he said is, okay, you've got Hawking uh, wanting to forward this idea of a theory of everything, mm-hmm. toe for short, and uh, in, in particular, M theory, which is an extension of string theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, just if you look at M, it's membranes instead of strings. And Hawking is actually saying, you know what? We need to use the anthropic principle in order to help bear this theory out. And Horgan's basically saying, hey, there's there's a real problem with this. We can't, the, the anthropic is something that we can't actually um, say, that there's any data to to bear it out. Um, mm-hmm. but we don't have the technology again to to do this. And essentially, and here's where the it's kind of the biatch slap. It's cosmology's version of creationism, and he's levying that against Hawking. And I think you know, you know, this is not uh, my wheelhouse. Right. But I do have to say, I think that there's a point with this, and I and you can't help. But see where you'd want to have a theory of everything, where you'd want to have something unifying saying, finally, we have reached the end of meaning. We understand exactly why we're all hanging out here in this podcast booth at this very moment. Um, But we just we're limited. You know, language fails us as well. We can't actually describe where we're at at this point. Yeah, we kind of run up against uh, cognitive closure at some point. And there's just only so much we can do. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Cognitive closure, I like that. Yeah, and then there's another aspect of this, um, which is uh, called carbon chauvinism. Yeah, this one is is really cool, and it's just basically the idea that we are uh, we are carbon based life forms, um, and we often find it hard to imagine that there are other um, that there are biochemical forms out there that are based on on other uh, uh, recipes, if you will. Right, right. So, th- and in fact, I think they've used the example before of silicon. That's something right. that um, that you can get actually some complex results from. Mm-hmm. And they're even saying that um, that's molecular chauvinism. That we just don't understand that there there are other ways maybe to come to the table as a being. Yeah. Which makes me wonder about extraterrestrials because there, you know, in all of this, there's really no discussion. Yeah. About our ETs. Yeah. I mean, like, if you look into science fiction, it, it, there are plenty of examples. I know I've read things with, with silicon based life forms in them. And of course, you're always encountering like energy beings and things of that nature. Uh, um, so, so yeah, it's like, you know, if we, we, we put the carbon chauvinism aside, would we be able to, you know, potentially imagine, uh, or not imagine, but, uh, you know, perceive a world where uh, a universe where there are other varied uh, forms of life out there? I have to ask you a really personal question. Okay. Where are you on the ET scale? Um, I don't know. Well, the ET scale has been interesting uh, throughout my life because I, I used to be uh, terrified of being abducted by aliens when I was in uh, like junior high. And before that, I kind of got out of it in high school. Uh, so that that was a time where it's like I, 
I was really terrified of them. And then I decided that I was going to make a conscious effort just not to believe in aliens. So I was really against the idea of them for a while. And uh, I don't know. Now I try and keep an open mind. So I, all right, I, all right. I feel like they could be out there. I don't. Uh, it's There's a whole separate podcast on uh, to be done on this. But uh, I mean, I, I think that a lot of what uh, we end up perceiving uh, in this world that we think are aliens, it's actually there are actually a lot of really good explanations, uh, logical explanations for what those um, uh, events are or what those experiences are. But uh, but no, I think there could be. There could be life in this universe. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elsewhere. My, my, maybe um, not intelligent. Maybe yeah. more intelligent. Yeah, that, and that's what I think is interesting. It could be, yeah, it could be a, a very uh, super intelligent being, yeah. or not so much. I don't know, just hanging out at the bowling alley. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with bowling <laughs> alleys, by the way. I love bowling. I have to say, um, but yeah, I just I had to throw that out there, just because my own worldview was tinged by this by my grandmother, who, you know, I grew up hearing about. How she and my grandfather on a lonely country road came across what she called little green men. Oh. So I always grew up with this idea of, well, real cool. Maybe these little green men do exist. Oh, wow. And so. Well, this, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to get into this in a later discussion. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Definitely. But looking at the anthropic principle and looking at ourselves in the universe, you got to wonder why that isn't a larger part of it, particularly since Stephen Hawking has, you know, Pulled the trigger on the warning shots to say, hey, guys, don't talk to the aliens. Don't let them know we're here. Yeah, because uh. if they're anything like us, uh, then they're, they're probably really, they're really jerks. Yeah, they're yeah. going to colonize us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's why this this theory or this principle really is interesting. Because, again, we get down to this individual level of, you know, scrapping all of our, our grocery lists and everything else and wondering... Why in the world am I this carbon-based life form and allowed to exist? And I think the bigger problem here um, is that we're mortal. We know that we're going to die. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is why we're grappling with this so much as scientists, as human beings, um, because we know that this universe, 47 billion years in the making, is is not essentially for us. Or if we do think it's for us, then we think, well, why does it all have to end and so on and so forth? So then you begin to reach beyond that and you can see how the, the pull toward of this sort of all unifying and or creation myth, this godlike super being is so enticing. Yeah. And you can, there's some like really kind of uh, out there ones too, like final anthropic principle. Uh, it's a variation that says that once intelligence, um, not intelligent beings, but actual intelligence like pops up in the universe, right. then it's never going out. That it's going to pretty much thrive and eventually become God. And it's it's going to propagate itself. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. So, you know, take that and run with it with your imagination because that's pretty out there. Well, that always makes me think of the computer simulation. Like, are we just hanging out in a, a computer simulated program right now? Mm-hmm. Um, all of the matrix. Yeah. Um, you know, is this, is this even real? Is this a virtual existence? Which is, of course, an, another one of the anthropic right. principles yeah, that I people love, have explored. I love thinking about uh, that kind of stuff. I just uh, finished reading a book called uh, Disciple of the Dog in which there's a cult. Um, that uh, believes it's it's uh, its members believe that the Earth is actually 50 billion years older than we think it is, and that uh, the life in the world that we perceive is actually um, it's actually the dream we're actually the dreams of uh, quantum computers in the far far distant future, 
that I guess got really bored and, you know, end up <laughs> dreaming of this, this, you know, past life for them to wander through. And so if we could see through the illusion, we'd see that the sun fills up the entire sky and will, uh, uh, you know, consume the earth at any moment. Wow. So our existence is just fodder for computers to, to sort of work through their boredom issues. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the, the author is uh, R. Scott Baker, and he's uh, he's like a philosophy dude. So he's always all of his books end up like bringing all these like philosophical questions about who we are and what makes you know our heads work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I I think obviously in this podcast we're not going to reach the end of meaning, but I do no. feel that we have reached perhaps the, the end of the podcast. The end of the podcast. Yes. So, which actually makes me think of another philosophy, wabi-sabi, which I think <laughs> most people think of as uh-huh. embracing imperfection. Mm-hmm. But another more nuanced reading is that you're either emerging out of nothingness or you're essentially returning to nothingness. Yeah. Which, I don't know, that's that's maybe more comforting to me. Um, and at least it's a, it's a way to say, I think, that we are now entering into nothingness. Yes. Yes. So, uh, hey, if you uh, listeners have any thoughts on some of this uh, heady material, um, then uh, feel free to shoot them to us. You yeah. Can, yeah. You can uh, email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where you can also find us as Blow the Mind. Yeah. And please, uh, if your grandmother told you stories about aliens, we want to hear about them. Yes. We so also want to hear about your own cosmological navel gazing. Yes. Tell us about your navels. Please. Well, not too much, but just enough. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more, all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts, and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes.